When you choose a life partner, you're choosing a lot of things, including your parenting partner and someone who will deeply influence your children, your eating companion for about 20,000 meals, your travel companion for about 100 vacations, your primary leisure time and retirement friend, your career therapist, and someone whose day you'll hear about 18,000 times. It's intense shit. So given that this is by far the most important thing in life to get right, how is it possible that so many good, smart, otherwise logical people end up choosing a life partner that leaves them dissatisfied and unhappy? So just to clarify, that was Tim Urban's blog, Wait But Why, which is a fantastic blog. I'd recommend anyone to start reading some of those articles. And he's got a really interesting article called How to Pick Your Life Partner that he wrote back in 2014. And I've read a few times now. Well, thank you for that introduction, Jess Freund. It's going to be a jovial podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, we're joined by David as well. Thank you for joining us, David. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, audience. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Jess. Everyone, assume there'll be much hyperventilation and giggling. Mm. You listen to the first one, you know what's going to happen. There will sort of be a topic. There sort of won't be a topic. There will sort of be discussion about where we're having lunch after. (laughs) It's important. These things are really important. Guess what, everyone? We're having pizza and you're not because you're not with us. (laughs) But you could have pizza. Yes, while you're listening to the podcast. So stop now, jump on Uber Eats. And wait for it to arrive before you listen. Because yeah. life partner discussion with comfort food mm. is going to be best. I was, just, I was just thinking that. You know, there's some people out there who, who may be single and feeling rather depressed about this topic before we discuss it. Or maybe partnered up and feeling depressed. I mean, from Jess's quote, you know, the quote Jess just read, the implication is that a lot of people really want to get the life partner thing right mm. and don't and end up very sad, but keep trying to make it work. And that's the interesting thing. And I don't know if you've ever found the numbers, Jess, but how many people stick at it because they remember it started so well mm. you know, for, for so long, but don't know what to do to change it. Mm. I think those would be some hard statistics to get, but because I would, would say that there would be a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that you should say single because um, actually Tim Urban in that particular article talks about the idea that... um. Being single is actually a fairly neutral, hopeful position. You know, if you're in a terrible relationship or even just one that's not particularly satisfying, you have to go through this sort of soul-crushing breakup before you can then be single to then get to the good relationship. Yeah, single is sort of this neutral point. So is the breakup literally you don't do it for pain avoidance? So people end up in the relationship longer because there's so many phases to go through. First, Mm -hmm. you have to decide it. Then you have to do it. Then you have to survive it. Mm -hmm. Then you have to recover sufficiently. And then you have to put yourself out in the world and be scared of what happens next. Mm -hmm. So when you realize that there's all those things that are a roller coaster, maybe just staying in something that's unsatisfying is why so many people don't seem all that happy. You can hardly blame them. I mean, from that quote, we can, I feel like, easily assume this is one of, if not the most important decision that people will make in their in their lives. Mm. And we don't talk about it in, let's say, an educational capacity to any extent. Well, I want to jump back into an earlier episode we did because I think something Nicholas Christakis said in his book Blueprint and we talked about in the podcast is really important here. The what we know about most pre-agricultural societies and most tribal societies that still don't do agriculture to this day is they're pretty much all characterised by serial monogamy. Mm. 
being partnered up to one person was very normal, but it only being one person in your life was abnormal. Mm. So we've got a strange thing happening here where the monogamy bit actually fits with what humans did before agriculture. With agriculture, polygamy became very normal because people became another form of property. And it was only when the Greeks and Romans realised that young, unmarried males are a political problem that they changed the inheritance rules and rules about whether you could have any political rights, that you needed to be a married male to have any rights. Mm. So you got them back under control by giving them a partner and a family to look after so they had something to risk. They shouldn't risk. A you know, bit of a sideways backtrack, but I was thinking about this on the bus on the way in today, that we've sort of touched on the history of this. So this idea now that in a century and a half, we've gone from average age on the planet of 35, you know, as a lifespan, to now 80, that's a lot more time with someone when this is not normal in human history. That's the daunting bit. If you put it in historical context, if you just see around at you and go, oh, yeah, we're all you know, looking for the person to spend our lives with, well, it's just what you do. But if you give it the historical context, the enormity of what we're suggesting is what you know you might want to try and do is pretty damn big. Equally, eighty years, let's say, is a, a long time to be self-reliant as well. Yeah, again, we're such social creatures. We're not just struggling with maybe I think how to be partnered up. Mm-hmm. For let's let's say that even if you met the right person, like you have Tim at uni. Yeah, you and Jade could easily end up married for 60 years. Yeah. Because you're healthy people, you know, you're careful what you do. The likelihood is you'll look after your health, you'll look after each other, and that will be a very long time. You know, Karen and I met, I was in my 30s, she was still in her 20s, but even there, because we try and be reasonably healthy, we might get, you know, 40, 45 years. That's still longer than people used to live mm. of being a couple. Mm. That's a big thing. That's kind of an awkward point because you go, wow, what do you do after that big thing? So I stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Mm. And really, when you were reading the quotes, Jess, and we were picking the quote for the beginning, I'm like, yeah, 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 they seem big, but I really couldn't grasp the enormity. Mm. And yet I've just managed to get myself to realise the enormity by looking at the time spans Mm. relative to what life used to be like. Mm. Wow. Okay, it is big. It is, is big. Is it complex? It's big. Is it, is, it, is it complex? Well, I think therein probably lies the issue. I think in some ways we've tried to make it anti-complex. I think society tells us that we should be following our gut instinct when it comes to love. <laughs> but perhaps we shouldn't be. You know, it's not that it should be complex, but perhaps we shouldn't be making it quite so simple either. Well, how much, you know, how much liberty do we apply to the situation? It's like if you're talking about your career, your parents have... All, all hands on, you know. Um, you talk about your love life and everyone gives you the liberty because the heart wants what the heart wants, or right. so we're told. Yeah, but that's a very new idea too. You know, all right, tribal societies, it looks like people did pick to a large extent who they wanted, but once there's tribal lands or there's agriculture space or there's property like herds of animals, marriage is a way of connecting property. And the majority of societies, unless someone really disliked the person, they were going to be organised to partner up with for the good of the society, it it happened whether they really knew them or not. So historically what we see is there's an incredible tendency for people to grow together from the shared experience of being a couple, being a family, raising kids, managing life. Mm -hmm. So the irony is love as we think about it seems to be at most a 200-year-old 
romantic literature idea that is also parallel with the Victorian world turning us all into prudes. Mm. So how are you supposed to romanticise love, deny the physical, and call that combo normal? Mm. (laughs) So, uh, okay, this is probably a first thing where we can look at all the differences amongst the three of us. You know, we've ended Mm. up with three heterosexual people here today by accident, not by design. Mm. We've ended up with a married person, an engaged person, and a a single person. Mm. So we've got a reasonable amount of viewpoints, but not a mega set of viewpoints. But even if we start on this idea of romanticism, I think in our society, men and women are exposed to this very differently. So I would say being a 48-year-old male, you know, I wasn't meant to like romantic comedies. That was the Australian male thing. You went, <laughs> You were meant to just do what was necessary to make a safe and reliable household, you know, provide economic support, physical support, not really know how to be very emotional, and romanticism really played no part in any role models, imagery, or anything else I remember as a kid or young male. And what's that like for the two of you in comparison? I really love Love Actually. <laughs> I, I love that film. I, I'm not. I'm not. What about Four Weddings and a Funeral? Also love that film. Okay. Yeah. Was well, I just want to go in there with a Mac Ten and waste Hugh Grant? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hugh, Hugh Grant is is a divisive fella. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I, whether it was just my like my mum's influence on my life, it's probably where it is. It's just like a childhood thing that I just enjoyed watching rom coms with mum. But I'm not ashamed to admit that. But it's weird because they like almost definitely they're tailored toward women. The way they're mm. marketed, the way that they're like, mm. casted, written, all that kind of thing. So romanticism for males is more of an expectation than like something that. Yeah, we got to work out how to follow the checklist. Mm. Yeah, because it's clearly socially expected. Yeah, but also we're not really given well. I don't think at my age I was given any clear social conditioning on it actually being internalised. It was an external checklist, not an internal thing. Mm. Which is, I feel like for me it was slightly internalised, but I bear in mind I I grew up in a household of of five, well, six women, so – and and two two males. My dad, he's a hopeless romantic anyway. But I I think I I probably internalised what it means to be romantic, I guess, but – I, it, it's weird because it's not explicitly talked about. Like no one really ever runs you through it and says, you know, this is what you should do and this is how you this is how you should act if you find the right person or this is how you find the right person. It's mm. it's not – those romantic gestures aren't – they're not taught. You just have to kind of work your way through them and, and then the only way you, you might do that, which is I think where people can go wrong, is, is via movies or like this kind of mainstream idea of true love, which is – you know, you know, in 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 your heart, and and then you just make big gestures that will prove that to someone else that you think that they're the best possible match for you, that or that mm. there's you know only one person that is right for you. Yeah. Mm. So what about you, Jess? Did the movies help, or was there a better guide? <laughs> I think maybe as a female, there's this sort of this greater thought that perhaps uh, something will happen to you. Mm. You know, uh, you'll be just going about your life, and then all of a sudden you'll be swept off your feet. Which, of course, is not really the case. It's a pretty nifty social control mechanism for you know, making women uh, you know, subject to other people's whims. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a horrible remains of the patriarchy that can be tidied up and made to look nice. <laughs> yeah. But then I think, you know, deep, deep down there's, there's our biology. And, of course, as a female, it's much more in your favour to pick one really good partner mm. because there's only so mm. many eggs that you can have fertilised and... You know, there's only so many children you can bear in your life. Whereas as a male, 
uh, obviously that's completely different. It's almost completely in your interest to do the very opposite. You yeah. know, if, if if our primary intention is to reproduce, which of course is a whole new issue. That's a, that's, that's a big tangent. That's a bit mm. of a Pandora's box, that one. But it, it, let's say that is something that really is something that really innately and subconsciously drives us in choosing our partner. I think women are one much more likely to probably be a bit more, well, I would like to think we're much more likely to be a bit more particular because of that. But then also, yeah, I think pop culture kind of suggests that, you know, something will happen to you that, you know, you'll be going about your life and then something will, some guy will step in and sort of save you, the whole damsel in distress type thing. Not so, that I actually think that's how it works in practice. No, but, but that's the that's messaging. The pop culture. So, yeah. the, so guys don't get any messaging and girls get messaging not to drive it. Mm-hmm. It's a wonder anyone manages to partner up. Well, I, I think yeah. especially well, especially having brought up that patriarchy argument, it's like I think there is a whole generation of young males who don't feel like they should be approaching females because that's an, an, an inherent... Well, they don't want to seem creepy. Well, that's it. There's, there's yeah. like an inherently patriarchal uh, side to that. And so mm. the, the, the idea of courting a woman in the 21st century... I think is is completely different. But again, if it's changed for males, has it also changed for females? Absolutely. If there is this social passivity there that is built into the idea of romanticism, mm. has that really broken? Because my observation is, of you know, a, well, literally since I became a guitarist, I've always had you know female friends in whatever I'm doing, because being blind, I'm never judging them by appearance. Mm-hmm. So I've always probably had more women in sort of my inner circle than men. And the consistent thing I've seen in 30 years of that is smart, entertaining, interesting women still don't get that they should just go out there and say hi to a male they like. Yeah. Mm. That it's the rarity to do that by default. The number of times I've had the conversation with female friends in 30 years of you really just need to go talk to that guy because he's intimidated by you. You're too smart. You've got it two together and he literally feels like he would be, you know, aiming three steps two up the food chain. Mm. And they go, really? I'm like, would I tell you if it's not true? See, I want you to be happy. (laughs) But this is where I think dating apps are fascinating. And, of course, this is probably not something, I mean, David, you weren't ever exposed to. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I I know nothing at this point. I would just go. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, Tim, I'm not sure if you were ever exposed to them. (laughs) But it's interesting because what it does is it sort of skips that step. And this is what's interesting that I think this modern dating era is, it's changed a lot, even in Mm. the amount of time I've been dating. I mean, I'm 27, so I've been dating for, I don't know, 10, let's say 10 years. It's changed Mm. a lot in that time. Mm. It went from being, you see a guy in a bar or you meet a guy in class and you have to have the courage to be like, hi, how are you? Mm. Whatever. Whereas now it's sort of like you're skipping that step and it's just like, oh, well, I think you're cute. I think you're cute, you know, back and forth. And then. Which is the very female centric app, Bumble? Yes. That's one where they have to talk first. Yes. And I'm like, yes, this is powerful. I like this. This is going to change social norms. Is I, it? I, I know. Hope. Well, I know more successful relationships from Bumble, admirable matchups. I'm glad Bumble to hear that because I hope I that would be Tinder. the case. Mm. That, that empowering people who know they should give it a go, but, you know, having a mediated tool to help them get there. Mm is a great idea. Mm. Mm. And that's not picking on girls. I'm not picking on girls. If you've had three generations, five generations of conditioning to wait for someone to be romantically interested, that's a big thing to turn that corner. Mm. The average male now, I don't think most women understand, 
goes, wow, I'm outclassed by the people I'm interested in, so I won't bother. Mm. I reckon there's a heap of nice guys that have that perspective. I guess that takes us to a whole other topic, right? It's like, you know, how, how much of how much of this whole process is coated in self-loathing that you don't feel like you're worthy of someone else's love? It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, even if not self-loathing, just I think when it comes to partnering up, they they can't, we can't help but doing a comparison of we think this person's got so many positive things. <gasps> Could we possibly be interesting to them? Mm. So it's almost like if we really think anyone is amazing, the likelihood is it's going to take a real dose of courage to approach them. Mm. Just kind of a long-term problem for the species. It's a good thing biologically humans just do fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, so I had a, a like, a, I want to say like a mixed mixed medium <laughs> introduction to Jade in the sense that I knew her in person, but we had very cursory conversations about her borrowing pencils and things. Uh, in class and well, then, every every class for a year or yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah well actually we ended up being in three classes together in our philosophy undergrads okay but yeah we you know only ever had one shoot together i think as in we had lectures together mm. but it, it turned out that she ended up doing a, a subject that i had done previously and i uploaded one of my essays and she found that online and then recognized my name her friend encouraged her to add me on Facebook and we organized a date through Facebook. So even though we sort of knew about each other from real life, it ended up, we owe our relationship more to the digital world. Yeah, but you weren't flicking. What do you do on Tinder? Flick left, flick right? Yeah, it wasn't like that. So you weren't flicking. You were going, how can we mediate the scariest bit, which is actually the organizing to meet? Yeah. Mm. Outside of the, you know, the, well, let's call uni a professional environment. That's really what it is. So, well, because that's that is what that is what the digital the digital dating thing does. Is it, it kind of mitigates all of the well, it, it yeah mitigates um, some of the anxiety about reaching out to someone else and exposing yourself to rejection. But does it does it do that, or does it do something even bigger and maybe even more problematic? Okay, and that is minimize the channels of communication to text only. Now, maybe it's being blind, but the number of hours I've spent talking to people I've just met mm. where I almost don't mind what the words are. The words are infinitely less significant than listening to the tone of their voice mm. and the tone related to the words. And what my brain is constantly calculating is they believe what they're saying or they're full of shit. Mm-hmm. The, the tone versus words thing. And if it's just text, that tone versus word things is gone. Mm. So I... Yeah, you know, if all you've got is text, you want to use that digital platform as fast as possible to go. It's definitely worth meeting, so that we don't get the wrong impression through the limitations of text. I think there's that, but then also I think it's a saturation of choice, and yeah. sometimes I wonder if that's not actually such a good thing. You know, people feel replaceable, and I think mm. that's that's on both genders. And yeah. I only say that because I've had discussions with guys I've met on dating apps who, you know, we've both remarked on that. Isn't it terrifying how you just feel so replaceable constantly? And in some ways, I think it's hard to comment, but in some ways, I think that saturation of choice doesn't do us any favours. No, it makes it even harder because you go, well, if that person's got five things going for them and that person's got six and that's only this week. Right. Where's the person with eight? Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing, it's boundless choice. But again, like you said, the the biological thing at some level of only so many eggs. Mm. And yet I think there might be a male equivalent of that, but it's less biological. And it's more the traditional male view of what you should have achieved by a certain point Mm. in your life. So whether you've partnered up or not, at what point is the career stable? 
Mm. At what point is there money in the bank? At what point are you paying a house off? Whether you're living in it on your own or not, are you at the point of going, look, good provider? Yeah. Actually, it's interesting you should say that because I've always joked, well, not always, but, you know, recently, past five years or something, I've been sort of saying that I think women get more obsessed with finding the right person and they will latch on to that. If they think they've found the right person, Mm. women can become a bit obsessive, but men are much more obsessed with the right timing. What's your thought on that? I reckon you're right. Because part of being blind is realising I don't line up with most things like when's the job going to be stable, when's the finance going to be stable, Mm. when's the house going to get bought. None of those things have ever worked in a conventional order. Mm. And being blind meant it was not just going to be the conventional dating thing anyway. I always became friends with people first because they had to see whether they were cool about dealing with me being blind. Mm. And it seems stupid to put two pressures on when there was one such big variable in the room. But just from... Watching other males, my sense was the fact I'd given up that time thing. I was aware how many males hadn't, that that was their deep driving thing. It has to happen in this phase. And so many males I've heard say, oh, I'll look for a partner seriously at this point. Mm. And then waste the next five years essentially being a dork, missing the opportunity of everyone they've met in that period. Mm. Is that out of, you know, they have to put away all the right eggs to appear like a a viable option? Yes, I think so. I think they want to feel like, this is my theory behind Mm. it. And I think women do it too to some extent, but I think at least in my experience, um, especially heterosexual men do this, they will want to get themselves to the best possible point to get the best possible catch. Mm. They will want to get their career to the ultimate point. They'll want to get their body into the ultimate shape, have the best ultimate hobbies, whatever it is. And a lot of the time it's, there's actually another really interesting way, but why article called um, 10 types of 30 year old single guys. (laughs) That could be hysterical to do a whole episode. Next time you're back, let's do the 10 kind of 30 year olds. Because Tim's not 30 I've dated them all. I've been through it and you've dated, well, you've just admitted it, you've dated it all. So we can try and work out what I was, what Tim could be if he wasn't married by then. (laughs) Yeah. That could be hysterical. Um, We might need beers rather than coffee. Well, that that can be a blind. That's fine. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> so there's that. I don't know. There's just, there's just so many variables. But I guess what we've come here to talk about today is how do you pick your life partner? Mm. You know, we can talk about all these sort of factors that play into, mm. I guess, gender norms and things like that. Mm. But what is it about dating somebody specifically that makes you go, oh, yeah, this is the person that I want to have mm. the 18,000 meals with. This is the person that I want to have parent my children if you're mm. going to have children. This is the person that, you know, I want to go on 100 holidays with. This is the person I want to spend my Christmases with, if, if, if you're Christian. Or your, atheist, your significant yeah. holidays. <laughs> your significant holidays, that was a better way of putting mm. it. <laughs> I was going to say significant holy days, and then went, no, 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 why I asked, I, holy days. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, that's where I think it's interesting, because how, how on earth do you make that choice? How on earth do you kind of go, oh, this is the person that I'm dating at the moment? Uh, this is why I think they should be my life partner. Is it just gut instinct, or is there more to it than that? Yeah. Exactly on that point, I think a lot of people have different methods or, or perhaps not even methods at all. Uh, you know, if they consider the factors that we talked about earlier, some people might not even think it's possible to choose a life partner. But a lot of people have different methods and they have different definitions, I suppose, about what what those things mean. So we have collected a few viewpoints. We've got some written and we've got some audio. I've got two audio here that um, I'm just going to play for you in sequence. And uh, we can, if we feel we need to comment on them, uh, we will. But this is an opinion of my friend Tashlo, who is currently single and enjoying her life as such. It's not not a not an area. I I feel okay saying that because it's not an area of anxiety for her. 
I find the idea of looking for a lifelong partner a little bit foreign, I guess because I think it's practically impossible to predict whether you can be with someone for life. We change and grow as human beings so much and we undergo strange, unpredictable experiences that we can't foretell. And it sounds cliche, but the only lifelong partner that you can put any kind of guarantee on is yourself, really. I don't mean to invalidate the human want or need for companionship. And I do wholeheartedly believe that a good companion can and will inspire you to grow, heal and nurture yourself. And finding someone who you are so compatible with is magical and truly beautiful. And I am so joyful for people who have found this kind of connection with other human beings. I guess the best that we can hope for is that you'll find someone who will love and support you unconditionally for as long as they can and for as long as you're compatible. But I hope that we can also respect ourselves and them enough to be aware of the potential for this compatibility to fade away over time. It's unrealistic to expect that you two will always be the same kinds of people. And sure, maybe you will grow together and a lot of people do, but it's also just as possible that you'll grow apart. And I think that rather than obsessing over the future with a partner, sometimes I find it easier to just take a step back and focus on presence with a partner. You can have a nourishing, fulfilling relationship with someone and still have an edge of uncertainty there. You can find a loving, healing relationship and still know that it's not going to last forever and you can be okay with that. And I think that that kind of love is something that more people need to be open to in their lives. It's not going to protect you from heartbreak, but it might help you learn to depend on yourself a little bit more. Because again, it sounds cliche, but you are the only lifelong thing in your life, really. And you really do need to learn to love yourself too. Do we want to comment on that first and then listen to the second? Who wants to go first? Um, I'll go first if you like. Yeah. Um, well, I do think that was really well put, and I think it was a really good point. I don't disagree. I think the takeaway from Tasha's point is probably perhaps what, if we were going to take something away from that in terms of, okay, well, let's say you are trying to choose a life partner and say you're dating someone who you're incredibly interested in and you're kind of going, I wonder if I you know, really want to commit to this person long term because that's sort of what we're talking about here. Like I agree with her, but we're really talking about if you're dating someone and you're interested in them, how do you make this decision? I think the takeaway from Tasha's comment is probably choosing someone who you think, who you can bet will grow with you. So you understand your compatibility, you understand their goals, their dreams, and you sort of hedge your bets. You kind of go, oh, well, on balance, I think we can probably grow together. I think, you know, David will talk about the concept of one plus one must equal three. Mm. You know, that's one of my favourite sort of Mm. comments from David about relationships. Two holes must be more together than what they are apart. And I think going from Tasha's comment, I agree with her entirely. Like, you know, anything can happen to anybody. You can think you've got a life partner and one of you could get hit by a bus or something, you know, touch wood. But whereas, yeah, I think if you choose someone who you reckon will grow with you, then you're probably onto something pretty good. What are your thoughts, David? Very much the same. I, I found it interesting that Tash got to that same point of recognising just if we look at how complex we are and how much time we have, people are going to grow and change. So it, it's not just, I think, a question of growth. It's that thing of you're picking someone that you think will want to grow with you in a shared direction. So the thing you're talking about with me where you know, Karen and I always talk about one plus one is three that if you can't get a bigger world than one plus one is two, why are you doing it? Because you don't just want to have two worlds in parallel. I'm guessing that that could be nice for a while, 
but I can't ever imagine wanting to commit to that as the person who is my life partner. If you don't want to make compromises with this person to grow in a way that makes something bigger that you could not do on your own, you don't have the requisite resources to get to this place you can get together, that that's really important. And maybe something that was missing from Tasha's thing, and that is there's some sort of spark where you can go, this person's a good companion. I think we could grow in the same direction. And then there's the, the, the intangible that I think it's only our unconscious brain that can tell us. And that is, it's more than ticking those two boxes. It's the spark of, and if I don't do it with this person, I'm going to compare everyone else to them. Mm. And I'm going to feel miserable for not trying to make this permanent. And I don't know if, it's entirely possible to understand that sensation until you've felt it and then had the guts to follow it. And I don't like excluding anyone from a debate by saying if you haven't felt it, you don't know what it is. But I certainly know that once I had that clear sense in my head, okay, if Karen and I don't try and make a world together, I'm going to constantly wonder about that mm. and go, should have done, son. And that's that's not rational. It's not logical. It's so deeply biological that feeling mm. mm-hmm. yeah I, I i feel similarly it's realistic but something something about tasha's point just felt slightly pessimistic to me to the extent that i feel a great deal of trust in my relationship that the uncertainty i think that she was talking about you could go through life and have that uncertainty but i personally am in a place where that uncertainty about whether you know Jade and I will be together forever, I am in control of in in some sense. In that, yeah, you choose. I'm mm. I'm choosing to be her choice. If that makes sense, yeah, you're mm. choosing to do the work to meet her That's at right. that neutral, growing space every mm-hmm. time you possibly can. So that would yeah. be my only caveat to that point. It was that I I wholeheartedly agree. I think especially in in youth, you can go through relationships and and you don't have to rush into them to make sure that the other fer- person feels secure. Um, that that trust you know doesn't need to be established immediately because I think that that's well you, you actually can't establish that trust immediately so to no, pretend, like building pretend a that you can is, could is, take decades that's right so it's it's realistic but I, I feel as if that you can get to a place where that kind of insecurity is manageable controllable let's say should we move on to another one of my friends we hope to get her on the podcast soon her name is Chloe she's recently married and I must say that her relationship inspired mine in some sense. So, Ari, finding a lifelong partner. When Patrick and I found each other, we were not looking. In fact, we were doing the opposite. We just decided that we were going to be spending time with ourselves and that we absolutely were not interested in dating anyone. And all of a sudden, seven years later, we're married and we're doing life together. I suppose the thing that has worked for me is to let it happen organically. So I've been in relationships in the past where, you know, things have always felt a little bit forced and it's always felt like I've tried to make something happen. And the first time that I let go and decided what will be, will be, was the best time. And it is the best time. And I guess the other thing is when you decide to just let things happen and let things unfold as they will. And obviously I come from a very privileged position of finding my person and and really young in life. It just means that 
it's going to be someone seriously special to break through the noise. It's going to be someone that ticks every box to be able to, yeah, get there. And I guess the other thing is, aside from just finding a partner, sort of that partnership developing into something that is lifelong is a whole other kettle of fish. And again, for us, that happened really organically. But if I have any advice for people on finding their lifelong partner, I would say I think it should be easy because I think that if you've got a really good, solid, easy, secure home base, which is your relationship that is full of just love and happiness and, you know, it doesn't always have to be like shout it from the rooftops exciting, but if you've just got something good there, then all of your other goals in life will come a little bit easier because you can put a little bit more weight behind them and know that you've got something just really nice waiting for you when you've got home. That's all. I hope that's helpful. Feel very underqualified. Bye. We all do. <laughs> that's fine, Chloe. We, it, we all do. Is anybody really qualified on this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. A nice, humble person. <laughs> Yes, she's lovely. Um, they had, they taught me about this thing about, um, I think they call it like sun and moon theory, that in a relationship there's always kind of a, a sun and a moon. Mm. And so one person is really energetic and, and kind of leads the social aspect of their lives and then the other person is more grounding and kind of establishes the nice feelings at home, if that makes sense. Mm. I like that. That's about being complementary, like not that. similar. Mm. Like and that's that. sort of my other thing. The one plus one is three I talk about all the time, mm. but also be complementary, not similar. Mm-hmm. Similar people will get bored really quick. Mm-hmm. And the the nice thing there too is, you know, okay, Chloe brought up the idea of you can have a kind of checklist. And I think the checklist is kind of okay to get you to the point of going, wow, there's so much here to invest in. Mm. But what I've seen so many times is people who go, oh, that's ticked all the boxes. Right now I can sleepwalk, mm. yeah. which is relationship death. So, the, you know, being able to go, this person fits all these things. They're complementary in all these ways. Yep, now you know you've got a starting point to build on. Mm. But that just made me immediately think about that thing with the checklist. Fine, have one if you absolutely need to. Mm. But for goodness sake, don't think it's an end point. Mm. Mm. It's, it's suggesting to you why to be brave and to try and build something bigger and better and longer and more amazing. Mm-hmm. I feel similarly. Like I, I'm, I'm – I guess this is where I reveal that I don't think that there is, you know, Jade is not, I love Jade and she is a unique person and I am so glad that I am going to commit to spend the rest of my life with her. However, I am I do not think that I would, if I didn't meet Jade, that I would never have found anyone that I would be able to spend the rest of my life with. Yeah, it's not like it's just one person That's rule right. us. So yeah. there are special no. people, but I, I kind of envisage it as like a, a checklist threshold yeah. Mm. If you can meet a certain level, like, you know, eight, 90% of my checklist and then we can go from there. Then, then <laughs> it's worth the huge investment. That's right. And that's not to say people are replaceable because any relationship with anyone else by its very nature would be dramatically different and the growth trajectory would be affected by the fact it's a different person. Mm. So people are not substitutable. No. But mm. what it is is acknowledging in life it seems there is potential to have you know, another chance Mm. if you want to risk losing the one you've currently got. Mm. But that's a big risk if you figure that really the one you got, you know, it's looking good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I think I think if we wanted to summarize Chloe's comments in like one sentence mm. is that it should be organic and it should be easy. Mm. Right? Like that that was the take home mm. message mm. of what mm. she had to say. I think I agree entirely that it should be easy. I've certainly been in relationship, one relationship in particular, that didn't feel very easy. You mm. feel like you're fighting an uphill battle. It feels uncomfortable. You feel like you you know you're trying quite hard to make it work. I agree with that entirely. And I I think that there are definitely ways that you can make sure that it's easy. And we'll come to those a bit later because I'll start talking about my quadrant theory. I've got this theory about Jess is going to write a book. It's cool. (laughs) The organic part I thought was interesting and what she didn't mention was dating apps. And if she's been in this relationship for seven years, perhaps she wasn't exposed to dating apps. No. And so while I completely agree with her, I think trying to achieve this organic thing Uh, which I completely agree with in theory, via dating apps is really difficult. I mean, the other week, this is a fun story, um, and I'm who knows if he'll ever listen to it, probably won't, but I I did meet someone organically the other week at the airport. Yeah. A wonderful guy, a space engineer. Um, Yeah, he was waiting behind me in the queue to quarantine to come into Adelaide, and we got talking, we just headed off straight away. It was very organic. And so I do think for things like that to happen it does feel more special. Mm. You probably go, oh, this was more of a chance encounter. This was so organic. And you probably, I think she has a point. And if something does happen organically, you probably cling on to it a bit more. But that type of chance encounter is just that. It Mm. it, it is a chance encounter. And the way that most people meet these days is on dating apps. Mm. Because Uh, the chance encounters, people are too busy. Whether they'd even notice that that person smiled at them for a second longer mm. in a busy world. Mm. And as you guys have been, so talking about dating apps, that I keep having this image of synthetic fertilizer. <laughs> Grow your relationship faster. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a bit. But, Which like, could be very good or very, very well, bad. But so how do, how do we get the organic feel from a dating app or from a dating website? I don't know. If you think about it too much, though, then you, 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 you forget to ask those questions like in which particular ways are you mad like, <laughs> like, like you, you know, you, you put your rose-coloured glasses on because you don't want to ruin the organicness of... The ambiance. Yeah. So, I, so in terms of maybe, I, I like to think maybe as organic as more like just real. Uh, what's what's another word? like? I guess that's the thing. Most words in English, it seems, don't quite get the job yeah, done. Yeah, true. So maybe organic like is like, authentic. I'm not yeah. manipulating this. I'm not, you know, I'm not polishing the message up. Yeah, you're not having to be someone that you're not. You're able to go yeah. on that date and that person instantly makes you feel very at ease and you feel like you can be the truest and best version of yourself. That's right, yeah. Yep. So. And it could just simply be that because it, yeah, there's been no penny drop moment yet of, oh, this person's really amazing. Mm. So before that you just go, well, this person's nice. Mm. I've got spare time, they've got spare time. Let's go do something fun. Yeah. And get to know whether this person is really nice. Yeah. Well, that's so, like, someone once said to me that they should really call dating apps meeting apps. I think it would be a way better yeah. thing to take yeah. that pressure out. It's just about meeting people where you try and go, well, I put in a bit of effort and at least I'm sitting in front of someone mm. and we're interacting in real time in a real place. Mm. That's a good thing. Now let's see what happens from here. But the app has now finished doing its job. Yeah. And, you know, the idea, again, it's like meeting or dating, you know, you might meet them only once. So the minute you're meeting, it's like, what, repeats? There's no guarantee there's going to be repeats. So this idea that you'll find someone and you want to see them multiple times, again, it's more pressure to put on people through this mediated technology. Actually, if it works and you meet someone once and it goes well, that's awesome, but that's probably also rare. 
well, that's the thing. I I, I want to kind of use this moment to address that. Um, I don't want to associate any stigma to people who have met someone and with through a dating app and then have made a commitment to them or have been in a long term relationship. Because in some sense, I think that that is an achievement to have met someone where you don't necessarily have all the information and then eventually come around to trust them enough to. It's going to become normal, particularly with COVID. Yeah, like if we get more waves of the virus. Mm. How are people going to decide who to meet and take the risk to go out and, and you know, go in a world where social distance, all these things might become very normal for quite a while? Mm. You'll need to go, it's worth doing this because mm. it does take more effort. I just, I don't want to establish a hierarchy where people feel like, you know, they're lesser by having to admit that when people ask them, how did you meet? They have to say Tinder. You know, no, yeah. but let's call it what it is. It's a meeting app. Yeah. What yeah. you do after that's up to people. That's so right. I like Jess's idea of call them meeting apps, not dating apps. Because yep. yeah. dating suggests out of it comes more than just meeting. Hmm. And maybe it does. <laughs> I always have this joke. If people tell me that they met on Tinder, I always go, oh my God, a Tinderella story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that could have the best imagery. <laughs> no, but I, I, I agree. It could be like a glass actually- mobile phone instead of a slipper. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly with you, Tim, though. I actually, in some ways, I really admire people that met mm. on dating apps because they kind of pushed through that difficulty. Yeah. It actually brings me around. So, mm-hmm. Tim, you asked people that you, you knew for advice. Mm-hmm. We, so we kind of, we sort of thought that by asking different friends and family for advice about picking a life partner, we'd be able to collate some interesting information to have mm. a good meaty discussion about. And the people that I chose to ask were my grandparents. So by way of background, my grandparents met when they were 16 I had my mum at 17, a bit wow. of an accident. And then, um, so my grandparents are quite young. Mm. And then they've been married pretty much ever since. They're like, they've been married for more than 50 years, wow. even though they met when they were 16, which is so cool. And so I said to my grandpa, I'm like, well, what do you reckon? Like, how did you pick grandma? And he was just like, oh my gosh. He was like, it's totally accidental. And then he played for me this song. He's like, let me play for you a song that, you know, describes to you the way that I feel about your grandma and I meeting. And it was this <laughs> song called Good Timing by Jimmy Jones. And it's like a 50s tune that goes tick tock, tick tock, timing. And <laughs> he really just said, it's more about timing than anything else. Um, and then you mutually choose to make it for life mm-hmm. by things to look forward to together mm-hmm. and an interest in each other's passions mm-hmm. was what yeah. he had to say. Which I, I think there's a lot of, um, I think that's a really fair thing it's to say. It's a fantastic summary. It is. He's a very intelligent man who I love very much. But I think what dating apps do, to circle back around to that concept, is they sort of, they take timing out of the equation. Mm. You can kind of go, yeah, this person's single, this person's single. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good like, point. Yeah, it forces you know? the timing in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, mm. it does. Yeah, so it's another pressure people don't need. Yeah, you're, just, you're taking that almost as a factor out mm. of it. Yes. Yeah. It's really interesting what you know, your, your granddad said is so similar to what my mum and dad have said all the times we've ever talked about this. You know, it's the, the luck of running into each other followed by then what you choose to do about it. Mm. Deciding you can grow together, but also there's a spark of attraction that's just more than going, this person's okay. It's that thing of, well, if I don't do something about this, I'm really going to be losing out. Mm. And so it's interesting. So my mum and dad, I think last Friday was their 49th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. You know, they met, I think mum was 16 and dad had just turned 21. Yeah, similar story to my grandparents. Yeah. And then you're a similar age to my parents. Yeah. But sort yeah. of, they were all doing all the same things at all the same time. Mm. Crazy yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, there was, well, there was a period of generations that started to get married later, and then now apparently <laughs> it's going back to getting married earlier again. Oh, Young, younger that. people are getting married earlier. Yeah, I that really. I remember reading stuff about that. It was starting in Sydney in sort of 2006, seven because property prices were getting so bad oh. that people were going, well, look, if we're going to be a couple anyway, let's do it seriously because it will allow us to be more credible to get on with the fact that this is going to be financially crippling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> to get a house and do the practical there's stuff. Of, there's a lot of bonuses to it. Yeah. Um, but people who were going to probably do it a bit later just moved it forward because of the, the, you know, the practical benefits that came with moving it forward mm. was sort of the implication of the research. I think it was pre 2010 that started becoming a trend in the Eastern States. I'm I'm worried about I, I, the reason I worry about dating apps is is I think actually because of that timing thing and if it's the most important thing for men I think the combination of mm. um, access to things like internet porn and then being able to hop on a dating app has, really solves any kind of feeling of loneliness mm. or, or let's say appears as as a, as a solution to feelings of loneliness because you can you can at the tip of your fingers whenever you would like address those feelings. You can solicit someone to comfort the loneliness. You can, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like I want candy now. Yeah, yeah. Which cannot be good for then seeing. Well, actually, what happens if there's a little less pressure? See, who's this person really like? What do you really like? Yeah. Well, and but does it dis- oh, does it also disincentivize then the real life attempts at doing that? If you can yeah. just do it, do they even have a go at the real life yeah. attempts? Well, I, I, from personal experience, if I look back at myself and say 2012. I think I was much more like, you know, I would go out to a bar or a nightclub. And to be fair, I was probably in more of a bar nightclub stage of my life then. Um, but I would walk into a bar or a nightclub and I would almost have this bias in assuming that guys were a single and be heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Now I walk into a bar or a nightclub. Well, it's COVID, but you know, yeah. let's just say what I was. Imagine. Yes. Yeah. I would not necessarily assume either of those things. Yeah. I look at guys, I wonder, you know, are you even heterosexual? I've got a lot of um, gay friends, so I yeah. no longer make that assumption. And I also don't necessarily assume that they're single. So it's it's funny how I think dating apps, or perhaps it's age. I don't know. I don't know if it's my age or apps or some. I think you become more aware of others. Yeah. Like at 18, 19, it's good. I'm going out and I'm going to have an awesome Saturday. Mm. True. What's oh. about what you want? And you know what else, yeah. actually? I've just, in, in you saying that, it's the age thing. I think when you are 18 or 19, I was looking at guys who were probably more like 22 and it's probably fairer to assume that a 22 year old guy is single. I'm now 27. I'm looking at guys that are more like 30. Mm. It's, it's, you can't. So it is a time thing at some yeah. level of where people are. Like, and again, that makes less sense in our society where more and more people choose not to have children, choose to sort career first, mm. um, where it may be a case of serial monogamy. So someone was single for a while and then partnered up for a while. Mm. So the, you know, the clear signs you know, must just not be there visually anymore in the way they were, which is going to make life harder. So suddenly the dating slash, let's call it meeting apps, much better. At least, you know, anyone who puts themselves on there, Mm. unless they're going to lie to you through the app, which I'm sure some people do, Mm -hmm. at least are indicating, yes, I'm actually interested in this. And Mm. that that adds clarity in a world where there's more and more ambiguity. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. A lot of people will criticise the apps for being so superficial. You know, you're swiping mm. left and right based on people's appearances. But my argument is always, well, that's what you would do if do you were just anyway. out. Come on, that's biology. <laughs> What's it's different? Just, yeah, if if you don't have that, like, I, you know, David talks about how he likes the voices of people. It's you know, you, and 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 seemingly like from our perspective, that might that might seem like, oh, that's like less superficial than 
what they look like. But it, but like, I'm, I'm sorry, David, I don't think it really is. It's, no, no, it's, it's, exact just, same. Yeah. it's just as just as much something people can control. The only thing I think it that you know is a bit more a bit more present is people can't. They tend not to be able to hide their underlying emotional state in their voice. Mm. Mm. In a way, people can manipulate their body language. Mm. If you know enough about body language, you can lie with it. Mm-hmm. There are very few people who are good enough voice actors to actively move their voice away yeah. from their core emotion. Totally. So I'm not saying it's a, a big thing. And again, you miss out on all sorts of other cues. Like, is this person healthy? Mm. Cool. Yeah, that's a big thing to miss out on. But like, but so I, I don't know. I, I'm just a big believer in that. Like initially you make those decisions because they're exciting. And that's just, I think like that is the human biology way. Yeah, of, it's the biological drive. You find your way to go that one, not that one, that one, not that one. Not ashamed to say that I think my fiance is a babe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, and that those were in initial factors in making those mm. decisions. Again, without so. biology, like there's clearly people out there who could be totally and utterly cerebral. Mm. Mm. And that's going to be a different kind of relationship. But I still think there has to be that spark of physical attraction where the 97% of our brain that's unconscious goes, me like you. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of reminds me of a guy I used to date for a while, used to have a theory, and it, it was the three threes, right? Mm-hmm. So in the first three seconds of you seeing that person, you should have been attracted to them. Like you should have had okay. that quick moment of being like, oh, they're attractive. Cool, yeah. Uh, the first three hours of your first date should have flown by. And after three months, you should be able to reasonably think that you could, you know, make a life together. Yeah. Wow. And honestly, I think that's probably, from a a blind perspective, the three-second thing isn't going to work. True. So I'm going to have a three-minute thing of three minutes of talking to them to get an idea whether I'd want to spend three hours with them. So if we change it to that, I don't think there's actually bad logic in that. No. Jess, at this point, I think I'd really <laughs> like to hear your quadrant theory because after all those discussions, as much as I feel kind of certain, I'm not sure that we've established anything certain for our listeners. So That's true. It's been a bit of been a bit of just fun frou-frou for a mm. while, hasn't it? I do have a theory and it's... It's going to be a book. <laughs> David I'm keep wants bugging it. her for it to be a book. <laughs> I would really like to write it out as a book one day, but I'm not sure it's that revolutionary. It's just one of those things. Like a lot of really good books, like I think, for instance... Uh, the book on antifragility by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Mm. That's a really good example of something that's like quite a simple theory, but he's just, you know, put it into words in a way that makes it seem really palatable. And, and so, incomprehensible. By Nassim <laughs> Nicholas yeah, true. Taleb. It's a bit so of a you will be more far, far more cohesive than, than Nicholas is. Mm. True. But, um, you know, I think, I think this theory is something that's like not that revolutionary. I think people will hear it and be like, oh yeah, duh. But maybe mm. it's just the way that I've put it. And so my thought is that I think in order to find somebody who could really be your life partner, you need to fill four quadrants. And so I don't think of this as a checklist so much as I think of it as a prism for looking at potential partners through and just thinking about, okay, well, do they meet these four requirements? I've just developed this because I've, you know, I've been in relationships, but I've also been single for a lot of my adult life. And so I've had a lot of dating experiences. And because I'm such an introspective person, I've thought about this stuff a lot. Um, So the four quadrants are, Um, The first one is emotional. Do you have an emotional connection with this person? Um, And by that, what I mean is, can you be vulnerable around them? Mm -hmm. Can you discuss your emotions with them without them, you know, being condescending or not (laughs) being very receptive of your emotions? Mm -hmm. You know, do you have that feeling when you're with them that you can really tell them anything? 
Mm-hmm. I think that's super important. Mm-hmm. Two, your second quadrant uh, is an intellectual quadrant. And this isn't to mean that necessarily they have to be on the same intellectual level as you or anything like that. But what I think it does mean is that you respect their opinions and you're interested in what they have to say. And you have conversations that you find interesting. You know, that means something different to all people. But it probably comes back to what my grandpa was talking about, where you're interested in each other's passions. Um, So, yeah, I would call that the intellectual quadrant. The third one being um, a social quadrant. Um, And again, I've realized this because I had a relationship where I thought this quadrant was missing. And that is to do with the fact that you must like yourself around this person socially uh, and you must like them around others socially. So, for instance, if they come to a family event with you, do you like them around your family? Do you like yourself in their company around your family? Can you leave them alone? Um, Can you leave them alone with strangers or family? Yeah, because at the end of the day and and your work colleagues and your Mm. friends and their friends and their Mm. family and all these sorts of variables because at the end of the day this person is a lot of the time your number one comrade at an event you know you're going to a wedding they're there you're going to a work christmas party Mm. they're there you know whatever it might be quite often this person is by your side and so you want to really like their company in the presence of others Mm -hmm. it can't be one of those scenarios where it's like oh well this person and i have got a great relationship when it's just the two of us Mm. sure it's a bit tricky when we're outside of this Mm. setting but that also i think is one of those things if you're a sociable person, mm. you realise how many compartments there are in your world. Mm. So I think this is the one of your four that I think a lot of people could overlook because they go, as long as I'm, we're okay together, mm. what does it matter with us? No, it really, really does matter mm. because we have more aspects to our life and part of seeing the proof of growth is that they come along and fit mm. and you go along and fit with them. Mm. Like when I go off to a fibre fair with Karen and feel alpaca and wool and buy jumpers made by you know, seven-year-old grannies who make amazing knitted things. <laughs> I would never go to a fibre fair on my own, but they're awesome. But you share that passion to the extent that... Like, I, I'm not going to look at Instagram for the perfect ball of wool, No, but, but you, I will happily go and, along and pat the perfect jumper. Absolutely. But then, <laughs> but then you'll, you know, you'll, you'll be on that experience with Karen and then, you know, you take home the jumper, you wear it, and then you'll come into the studio and then, like, get me to feel the jumper and then you'll share that passion to the extent that yeah, but that's, you're excited that's about exactly it with, without her point. presence. Yeah. That you yeah. get a passion you wouldn't even know you'd have. Yeah. Like, no. I like touching nice things, but yeah. I never would have thought that you could do such thing at Fiberfest and come home with a jumper. <laughs> Who would know there's a Fiberfest or a Fiber Fair? That's true. And that's partially because you have this social connection with Karen. Precisely. Mm. You like her in the company of others. And yeah. so you go out and you do things together Precisely. and you're more likely to do things together because mm. you like them around other people. But I, th- I really think this is the one of your four yeah. that when you first said it to me, it's like, ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah that's the one most people I think are going to miss. Mm. Anyway, I interrupted you getting to your fourth one. Oh, I think the other thing as well, though, is that in those first three that I've mentioned, two things. One – People criticise my theory by saying things like spirituality should come into this, values should come into this, humour should come into this. I agree with that entirely, but I think those things are sort of embedded in those three quadrants. Mm -hmm. I think if you have an emotional, intellectual and social connection with someone, chances are you're going to share a similar sense of Mm humour. Chances are you're going to share similar values. Mm -hmm. Chances are spirituality is a really interesting one. That was actually a very Christian friend of mine, Ashley, who, who I love dearly. 
and I do agree with that to some extent. But again, I, I, as somebody who's an agnostic atheist, I would say that falls under sort of some sort of combination of intellectual and emotional. Well, and social, if you turn up to a place of yeah. worship yeah. with a community. So really, yeah, a lot of things, you can either have a four-quadrant theory or an 11-quadrant theory. Yeah. I'd rather have four. <laughs> Otherwise, it's still like, well, we're going to have a dozen eggs. What's the 12th one? Right, exactly. So, yeah. you know, you, you will know if these quadrants feel filled. And I should note that I always say this at this point, that is a brilliant friendship. If you have an emotional, social, and intellectual com- like connection with somebody, like David, we have that, mm. I think. Well, this is most of the important friendships in our lives. Yes. Ideally, all three of these things are in a comfortable balance. Yeah, definitely. And Tim, you and I, I think you and I share that too. Like I think, I do, for context, I know Tim not as well as I know David. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I think those are the foundations of a brilliant friendship. And I can certainly see those three quadrants in all of my good friendships. Which brings me to the fourth quadrant. Well, what turns a friendship into a relationship? And that is, of course, the physical. So the fourth quadrant is your physical. Um, And that's potentially where that three threes concept could come into it. You know, in the first three seconds of seeing them, were you attracted to them? I've always just joked, at at the risk of sounding crass, my physical quadrant is simply, do you look at them and want to have sex with them? I don't hey, think there's much that, more to it than that. That's being really honest about biology and great to hear. Yeah, that, that I don't think there's much more to it than that. Mm. No, go with the biology occasionally because yeah. it needs to be let out to play occasionally <laughs> or we're not really what we are. Yeah, and I don't think it's worth overthinking the physical. Yep. I think, it, it, is there attraction mm. there? Actually, I read this book by a guy called Matthew Hussey, who's a, like a sort of a world-renowned dating expert. Um, I'm really into this stuff. I, I just really like thinking about it. Um, and he says uh, for attraction, there's got to be, well, for, for ongoing attraction and for that sort of physical chemistry to be there, there has to be four elements. The first one being that attraction, but that has to come through in the way of um, charisma and your sort of your level of banter. And I guess that sort of that voice modulation that David talks about. The second one is that there has to be an element of challenge. There has to be an element of value mm-hmm. is the third one. So you have to view that person as being a good value person for you. Mm-hmm. And then the th- fourth one was. My um, shared passion at the moment with Jade is makeup. The only thing is, is I feel really strange about complimenting other people's makeup. Yeah. Cause as a guy, yeah, it's, it's still just, socially. It's just weird. <laughs> not, not normal yet. Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, it will hopefully become more normal because. Let's be blunt. If people want to look nice, look nice. Yeah, well, yeah, that's it. But then you know, as as someone in a relationship, how how is noticing and typically a woman's because that's most people who wear makeup. How how is noticing makeup confused with like a, a, a sexual pass? Mm. Man, just wait till you got your wedding band on. It'll at least you've got a cue that says I'm not being weird, or a bit. Less. Is that what it says? Or okay, yeah, I hope so. And then you can make the point, you know, how you've done your eyes is, is really lovely. Yeah, you just say, you, you frame it in a way that is like, yeah. that is most favourable, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Again, you can practice that and get good at it. Because mm. mm. a lot of people appreciate getting the compliment because no one's bothered. Yeah. I think it's fun to play with. Yeah, it's, yeah Jade loves it. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have a nice face for doing it on to it. Uh, she wants to do that. I am yet to let her. <laughs> <laughs> it will happen, but... <laughs> That's not going on the podcast. No, no, no. That's she's like. Wait, so hang on. I'll go back to talking about Matthew yep, just, Hussey. Just start with this again. Yep. Yeah. So, so I guess beyond maybe just going, oh, like, do I want to have sex with this person? I maintain, I think that is the best test of physical, the physical quadrant being filled. And I guess beyond that, if you do get to that point that the sex is 
good and satisfying mm. and everything you ever dreamed of. Um, <laughs> I mean, that can always be improved. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. That's, that's no, can work true. in progress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the expectation that I think, I think the expectation that the, the sex on your wedding night, for instance, if you wait until marriage is actually quite a destructive one. Well, put this way, mm. how many you know, people got incredible, well, guys got incredibly wasted at their wedding because they were worried about what was going to happen after? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and how well did that turn out for yeah. all sorts of people worldwide over thousands of years? So I, I feel like the the filling the sex is fulfilling box should be a uh, yeah work in progress one, not yeah. not one that it's, you work. It should after. simply be you want to have sex with them and they want to have sex with you again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good variant. We'll, yeah, we like variants. <laughs> But other people have thought more about this than I have and what we are now. So there's this guy called Matthew Hussey, who is a, a dating expert who I really like. He's this really kind of funky young British guy who has all these theories, just like I do. So maybe him and I could be a good match. Filling your quadrants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Hi, Matthew, if you're listening, I'm interested. Come on, do your English voice. <laughs> hi, Matthew, if you're listening, I'm interested. See, that's what we had to have in the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to send it to him without your consent. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he talks about uh, physical attraction in his book. Um, it's called How to Get the Guy, which I uh, he could have named it better probably because yeah. I think it's a good book for both for both genders and also it, it assumes people being heterosexual. Mm. Yeah, but he wanted he was probably writing a book to work out how to get him. Yeah, true. <laughs> well, I read it, Matthew. <laughs> now, come on, in your English voice. <laughs> so, but he talks about there being um, four things that are elements of deep and lasting attraction. And he says that these four things are one, visual chemistry, which is probably interesting for you, David. Yeah, but I snore. <laughs> but I think probably what he means by that is that fizzy chemistry, that sort of, you know, do you have banter? Is there an element of flirtatiousness, I guess. Pheromones. Yeah, pheromones. That's well, will people keep looking in each other's eyes? I imagine that would be a huge-sided thing. Yeah. yeah. Like to and keep making meaningful eye contact. True, true. Actually, so I went on a date with this guy once who told me that I have really expressive eyebrows and that he loved it. <laughs> Isn't, you so say people, I'm never going to not notice that now. I know. <laughs> I know I'm kind of self-conscious of it. <laughs> I, I, that, that kind of plays into that idea, right? That people kind of look at your face and mm. they feel attracted to you in that moment. Or at least listening to your voice modulation and feeling attracted to your voice modulation. The second part is perceived challenge. So it can't come too easily. There has to be, and I think part of that would be that it circles back around to what we were talking about before about People quite often feel like they're not good enough for the other person that they're dating. Somehow they, you have to feel lucky. Somehow you have to feel like you've really outdone yourself. And I've thought about this before. If you get into a relationship, what it effectively is, is two people thinking that they've outdone themselves. Yeah, and feeling really good for the achievement. Yeah, that's all so, it is. So part of it is like, heck yeah. Like you're the best person I've ever made off a dating app and you think I'm the best person you've ever made off a dating so, app. So wow, have we done good. <laughs> the end. So yeah. what a way to get a, an initial level of like enthusiasm towards the project. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, actually, in speaking of projects, we'll just we'll touch on that in a second. We'll circle back around to that too. So the... The third one is perceived value, which also ties into that. You have to feel like that person's good value. You know, they have hobbies that interest you. They have a career that interests you, all that sort of stuff. And the last one is connection, which is probably my emotional quadrant. Like you have to sit with them and really feel like you have this connection that you just feel feels right. 
See, know, sort of ethereally. I think all his things fit in your other quadrants and fit nicer in your other quadrants. Probably. I think his things don't fit together as a list. Yeah. It's a nice list, but they it's it doesn't have rhyme or reason to me. Yeah, true. Whereas your quadrants, I think, have more rhyme and reason because most things can fit in one and you ideally balance the four. True. And if any of them are missing, you should automatically go, hang on, don't kid yourself. Mm. See if this is here, could be here. And if it's not here, you've got a dangerous gap in a really important way to connect. Mm. Well, and it sort of comes back around to the whole timing thing too. You know, it has to be the timing is right on both counts. And another thing that Matthew Hussey talks about, which I think is a really clever sort of um, visual metaphor, I'm a very visual person, um, and so I, I like these types of things. He talks about the fact that if you have two people whose perhaps quadrants are filled, you've filled all those things that he talks about for deep and lasting attraction. If you if you meet someone like that, you've got to view it like you're out and you're looking to build a castle and that castle is your life partner. If you meet somebody who, whose quadrants are filled, that's effectively you found a good plot of land. That plot of land is maybe by a lake, it's by a forest, it's quite flat, it's got good soil, it's fertile, et cetera, et cetera. But for that relationship to well and truly work, and this circles back around to both what Chloe and Tash said about things being organic and easy and choosing someone who you think you'll, who, who'll grow with you. You have to meet somebody who then wants to build that castle with you, who is willing to rock up and also put in the work and put in equal work to make something equally phenomenal. Yeah, takes um, my third comment here, and that is takes two people to build something and only one to wreck it. Absolutely, right. but and you can't yeah. just, you can't just rock up to this plot of land Not and go woohoo, right? And have, and have one person sitting mm. there laying yeah. all the foundations, doing all the hard work, and the other ones mm. sitting over in the corner drinking some beers, mm-hmm. or isn't even at that plot of land. They're off somewhere else building <laughs> a castle with somebody else, mm-hmm. and that plot of land might not be as good as your plot of land, and that's where I think people can become unstuck. You kind of go, well, I'm better for you than what that. person person you're otherwise dating is, um, which is where jealousy and insecurity can creep into things, I guess. I, th- I just thought that was a really clever metaphor in terms of being like, no, both people really have to come to the party and it has to be the right yep. timing for both people. You both have to have your yeah, building kits ready. Yep. You know, it doesn't have to be 50-50, but you've got to believe they're putting in as much as they can and it's enough for you to be comfortable with yep. and vice versa. Absolutely. Jade, I, I will bring in an anecdote here. Um, Jade, Jade really was, I guess, the first partner that I had that I really invested a lot of very careful effort into in the very first few months. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take me long. And I don't, well, I think let's say relatively long. I think we were together for maybe just over a year before I, it was very clear to me that we were both actively building. We were both ready yeah. to try. Mm. We were both actively you're plowing trying. the soil. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I was, you know, m- m- marriage to me then or, or to make that commitment, make that leap was just to say, you know, I, I expressed to Jade in the act of proposing to say, I am prepared to try mm. f- forever. It, I, I know that we can work if we try. And, yeah, and we both keep trying. Yeah. There's a, you know, every reason to believe we both keep trying. Yeah. This just keeps growing and the spark keeps going. Mm. And I envisaged that when she said yes, that that meant she was happy to commit to that's that. That's how she understood it. Mm. So when I think about our wedding and all of those and that as a, as a process, I think of it as just a big party to exclaim that yeah. to other people. But mm. yeah. for all intents and purposes, Jade wearing her engagement ring means we're already married. Yeah, and that was very much how it felt for Karen and I, mm. that really getting married was just a way to formalise it in the world 
and have a reason to spend a day with 40 people we really, really, really like spending time with. Mm. It didn't change anything other than having a, a symbol to the world of commitment that hopefully is a useful symbol to have. Mm. So yeah. other people know that symbol's there and they go, oh, you're married. Right. And that's a useful thing, I think, for people to know. So if you're if 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 we want to take that it, when you know you know or when you filled out the four quadrants kind of thing, I feel like th- most people will will have done filled that quadrant or or worked out whether both people are actively trying or can try mm. quite quickly or maybe I reckon uh, it really is three months relatively yeah a, you know a, a lot quicker months. than we were are prepared to admit. Yeah. You know, we as a society, I think especially in Australia, say so, you know you should be together for. X amount of time before you kind of make that no, commitment. I reckon that's someone. actually the danger because people who fall into that then fall into all the boxes of ticks. Why am I doing any more than turning up? Yep. Mm. We're such a relaxed culture that we're also too relaxed, I think. Yeah, we finished building the castle, but we don't need to do any maintenance on it. No, and we don't paint yeah. the walls. We just have, you know, because this is a cool thing about castles. Like they're building one in France, a brand new one. Cool. Using all traditional you know methods. That? And you know, COVID's causing mega problems because the main way they make their money is people visiting as they're building it. And it will take like 30 years to build. But the big thing is they've found all the remains of paint between stone in other old castles. Castles didn't have boring stone walls that looked dark. Almost all of them were whitewashed in the inside to get more light in or where possible painted with bright colours mm. to make being in there nicer. So even once you built your castle, how are you going to make it lovely to be in? Mm. It's a big drafty stone building. Mm. Mm. What are you going to do to make a big drafty stone building nicer? And are you growing? Are you putting an annex on the back where you can have guests? Well, know. more importantly, <laughs> you're going to have the long drop toilet so your castle doesn't stink. <laughs> That's right. There's exactly. very important issues you know, about good castle maintenance here. <laughs> Which then probably it's interesting because then you could have quite a long chat about like there's a dichotomy between choosing a good life partner mm. and then making that person your life partner. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. Two different like they things. are two yeah, But part of stories. choosing is you've you're committed to trying to make it mm. keep growing mm. and working and you believe they are also committed to making it work. Mm. You go, hi, we tick each other's boxes. I remember going to a wedding once and the bride read off her list of all the boxes she wanted to tick mm. and it was meant to show how amazing her husband was. Mm. As she went through the list, I'm just like, this is doomed in under five years. Mm. Because she actually thinks they've got to the plateau and it will just go through the universe at this level and somehow yeah. stagnancy will be enjoyable. Yeah. Mm. Like, oh, dear. Mm-hmm. And it was, oh, dear, sadly. And I don't claim to be clever about relationships. I just remember going, that can't be good where it seems like they're at the top of the mountain and they're not really believing, you know, that there's a whole life to live through together in exciting new ways mm. by both committing to the effort. So does does your quadrant theory have any qualifiers criterion like at what at what point do you, you know is is does it you know if you fulfill each of the quadrants then then you're okay to go what's the what's the action plan Yeah it's interesting and is that going to be a workbook as the second book I'm like but the thing is I'm like an anti expert on this right like <laughs> <laughs> I'm single <laughs> actually one of my ex boyfriends joked recently that I'm like Bridget Jones. <laughs> which was not very kind. Oh, that is- um, no, but it was quite quite accurate, and we're still good friends, so that's nice. But I think I don't. And I don't think it's foolproof necessarily. I think it's the combination, probably, of y- you find somebody who 
who fills those quadrants and you you genuinely believe that and that's perhaps where this organic thing that Chloe talked about comes into it you have to really authentically and genuinely believe that these quadrants are filled you can't talk mm. yourself into being like oh like he's mostly good around my family or, he either is or isn't in, right, these I, are all is or isn't things yeah like I, I usually yeah it's very much it should feel intuitively like yes or no like yes or no I want to have sex with him yes or no I value his opinions and his intellect yes or no I feel good around him around friends and family most of the time and yes or no we have a good emotional connection. But I think on top of that, you have to be confident. I think which it's just circling back around to what we already talked about, which is that you have to be actually really quite confident that you can grow together and that you have similar ambitions. Perhaps that's what's missing from the quadrant theory is something to do with, you know, do you want similar things out of life? And it's well, Maybe that can be if you've got the four, then you do this this sort of hypothetical growth test. analysis, you know, yeah. Now separately, a nominal group technique time, kids. On your piece of paper, one year from now, what's a goal you'd like to achieve? Five years from now, what's a goal you'd like to achieve? Ten years from now, what's a goal you'd like? Now, none of them have to be permanent or definite. Mm. But if you're surprised by each other's list or you don't want a bar of something on that list and you can't negotiate something you both like, Mm. maybe that's a good test. I think that's a really cool technique. I think. Okay, so I I get co-authoring rights on the workbook. I like that. I like that. It's it's about being confident that you can grow together and that you have similar aims because there's no point in having, say, somebody that meets all your quadrants, but, you know, you want to go and live in Kenya for 10 years and do all this stuff, whereas they're planning on, you know, settling down and having a family in five years and they really want that to be in, say, Australia. You know, you, you need to have, and I, I don't really think that truly fits into the quadrant theory, to be honest. No, it's the next thing. It's so it, it's what you do when you go, right, we've got a, we've got this thing. Now we've got to make a really big decision about, you know, do we do the one plus one is three? Do we make the quadrant theory into the foundation for build life together that's bigger than our independent lives? Correct. I think that if we come back to, I love this castle metaphor that Matthew Hussey put forward. I think if you view the quadrant theory as, you know, an analysis for is this a good plot of land to build on? But that's only that. That's where that ends. It's It's, your site survey. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's then having the – what do you call that thing for a house – is that a blueprint? Foundation. Oh, um, um, a house plan. House plan. Floor plan. Floor plan. Is that what it's called? A floor plan? Yeah. yeah there's right. walls <laughs> and a roof too. We want more data than that. Architectural. <laughs> architectural yeah. drawing. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. You know, can you look at that and feel confident, hey, this is going to be a great castle? Mm. You know, not only is this a good plot of land, it's not only is this a good foundation that we're building on because we have these four levels of connection, mm. but I feel really confident that we want a similar looking castle. You know, and that castle may or may not involve children. It may or may not involve marriage. It may or may not involve a life abroad. It may or may not involve all these different things. Mm. But, you know, but you can feel confident that when you look at the plans for that castle and you've had the discussion mm. about those plans, so many people don't have this discussion. Mm. They just go, yeah, well, whatever, let's just start building. Mm. But there's no real discussion about, well, you know, what do you want your life to look like? What do I want my life to look like? Can we build a life together and add to each other in a really sort of sincere and authentic way? When Jade and I have that discussion, her answer, and obviously this is something we've addressed on the podcast before, at least used to be that she wanted to be happy, mm. um, which we've obviously addressed on the podcast as saying that we would prefer that to be flourishing. Mm. Well, against my thing, I don't like you know want anyone to else give up being. Laurie Santos would disagree with you. Okay, well, you know that like happiness project oh, lady. I see. Yeah. You, yeah. I yeah, lots of people disagree stuff. with me. Well, even when Penny Lacasso was on, she's like, I talk about happiness. I'm like. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think was what Penny was expecting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm as a creature of habit, I don't want to expect that another person could bring happiness into my life. It's too much pressure to put on someone. I am Well, sad things happen. Yeah. yeah. And difficult yeah, yeah. things happen. Mm. Yeah. And just the exhaustion of dealing with the world mm. can take the buzz out of happy. Mm. But flourishing will put the buzz back in is sort of mm. my consistent argument. It was kind of more along the lines of that I and and you know, Jade and I have discussions about when when and whether we want kids and I know that, that those have been difficult discussions. I mean, we had a discussion recently where I kind of laid out that I wanted to rent for the rest of my life, that buying a house, especially in the Australian market and all those kinds of things was just not in my interest. I disliked the idea mm. and we made a compromise because the psychological benefit of her being in her own house was just so large and, and outweighed my disinterest in it that, to the extent that I was happy to come on board with that. So mm. even though it was initially unaligned the fact that we could try and we could compromise and we could work through mm. that mm. so in some sense i agree that you have to have some kind of image you don't want it to be so drastically different that you know she wants to move to america and i want to live in adelaide and things mm. like that but you know it, to some extent that worrying about you know exactly when and exactly what kind of castle you you, you want i think you know you can can be negotiated later. Oh yeah, yeah, but also it's if if you want to go Disney and and she wants to go Gothic, mm. there's a problem. Yeah, that's irreconcilable, and that you need to know. But you don't need to know any more than how wide's the gap. Yeah, and if can the you gap's compromise? manageable and compromise is possible. Mm-hmm. So if you, what you want to go is Teutonic German and it's nicely in the middle, well, how yeah. can you go wrong? Well, that's it. I guess it was, but you know, buying a house is not a significant. It's not an insignificant part of what will be our lives and, and having then come to agree, like to come to be on her side and be excited about it, mind you, not just, oh yeah, I guess we can do that because it's in your interest. No, I'm, I am on the side now. Yeah, but that's part of what we're talking, you know, what just mm. said from her, her granddad, caring mm. about each other's passion. Yeah. Is this going to have a passionate, positive impact on Jade? That there's something she can get really excited about and gives her a, an extra sense of center in the world. Mm. Here's this thing that demonstrates what we've achieved in life. Sure. Mm. In emotional and practical terms, why wouldn't you want to get on board with something that actually, and that's really the power of other people's passions. Mm. They can suck you in. Yeah. Mm. Actually, it's better. They can draw you in. Let's say draw because Mm. it's got more positive implications. Mm. They can draw you into their vision Mm. where you go, I wouldn't have picked it, but now I understand it from their emotional perspective. Guess what? That's infectious. Mm. I'm now I care enough to want to do it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I, I apologize. I'm. I'm trying. I'm not. I'm, I didn't actually mean to try and color your your theory with my with my. You just have to try tagline. So apologies there. That wasn't oh what I was. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I think the thing is, I I always caveat my theory by saying this is something I invented for myself. Yeah. It's that I started talking to friends and family about it, sort of jovially, and people started going, "Hey, that's actually got some real. Yeah, it's mm, good. It's got some real credence." And yeah, it always makes clever. for a great conversation. Yeah, it does, and it's always interesting to hear when people retort. Like, oh, but this, mm. oh, but that. And I, I, I like getting that feedback because it helps make the theory better. Mm. What I think I find, I, I, I actually, I agree. I agree with the, with the quadrants wholeheartedly. I think it is, if anything, it is probably the most apt way to describe at least the finding process and, and dating process. Yeah. yeah. And then we need, so then we need to follow up with the workbook, like David was kind of saying, <laughs> yeah. but what I especially like about it, and I, I love that we're doing a podcast on it is that I think with the biggest kind of issue that we identified at the start of the podcast was that no one's really talking about it in, 
or that let's say it's not common enough to talk about finding a, a life partner very seriously where people feel like they're able to inject their opinions on onto someone else because we, we we look at it too liberally i think or let's say we look at it yeah so liberally that it makes it impossible for people to work out what to what do they the, the vastness mm. of it because yeah. no, no one because that you have no opinions or, or wisdom to, to base it on yeah, this has to be relativistic yeah mm. yeah there's some common things about be kind to each other look after each other that are the objective bit of it, but most of this is relativistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of person you are, what kind of person you want to partner with and what kind of world you want to be a part of. But just because it's relativistic doesn't mean that we can't have a conversation. We well, still talk about where the goalposts well, are they're, broadly. They're, we've, yeah, here's yeah, yeah. his, his, our uh, yeah. like combinatorial conclusion, I guess. Yeah, is combinatorial ontology on yeah, life partnering. That's right. It's, it's, it's really important that we have a discussion like this so that people don't feel so overwhelmed by the vastness of the of the question mm-hmm. mm. yeah because i don't think it is overwhelming the thinking is overwhelming but the 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 checking you know are all just as quadrants covered tick 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 mm. oh, excellent mm. you know visions of the future different but can be aligned in a way that's actually really interesting mm-hmm that's the timing right are both mm. people willing to come together mm. at this moment to build this together mm. yeah so mm. really mm. it can be it can be reduced to well actually all these things are in play in the right way mm. so do or do not do well you know what you, you can kind of bet that it's probably going to serve you for quite some time mm. Mm. and that's all you can kind of ask for in a partner I think is this person going to continue to serve, um, serve is probably an interesting word but you know can, can I assume that I'm going to be able to grow with this person and have a happy or flourishing mm. life with this person for quite some time? And I think if you tick those things on balance, you're probably looking at your answer being yes. And mm. what more can you really ask for? Mm. You can ask for it, but boy, you're making your life unnecessarily difficult. Yeah. Uh, and more I'm importantly, sure making can, someone else's life really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm not sure you can ever get an answer to that. And in, in some sense, we almost expect too much of the entire process, I think, mm. anyway. But I think we expect too much of the entire process that it becomes confusing. I, I think that, you know, when I say vast, I mean, there's the in, in inclusion of time there, but also when you reduce it to those individual things, you're thinking about a lot of individual things. Mm. Yeah, but think about them for a couple of minutes, move on to the next one. That's right. You, you can know. overthink the process. And mm. in a sense, when Jess talks about this, you know, which she does regularly because she finds it interesting, she's talking about it because she finds it interesting, mm. not because she's agonising over it. Mm. Yeah, and like I find it interesting agonizing. for everybody. It's not that I find it so interesting yeah. for no, myself. No, you're not agonising. Yeah. You know, the clock is ticking, I'm doomed. <laughs> well, the clock is ticking, I must do this now. It's, <laughs> no. wow, this is so central to what people want to do and people have different opinions on it and it's one of those things that just almost anyone immaterial of who they are, where they are, could add something to this debate from their own experience. Yeah. And that's interesting. Absolutely. Well... Guys, I've been uh, really fascinated by the discussion, and uh, thank you for Tash and Chloe, and of course Jess, your your grandpa, mm-hmm. for uh, su- supplying some anecdotes and 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 some opinions and some really well thought out ones. But uh, we'll have to leave it there. It's and we'll kind of maybe revisit in a blind drunk later about the the yeah, ten different thirty year old to ten. <laughs> yeah, and you can bring a friend who's dated them as well. Yeah, that'd, that'd be awesome. But I could even bring a thirty year old single guy. That'd be no, no, no. We'll have to put the poor dude in therapy after. Okay. Dude, you you suffer from eight of the ten conditions. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Good point. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Jess. Oh, no, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And thank you, David. Thank you and happy anniversary, Mum and Dad. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out. Peace out.